Okay, welcome back. Thank you for being here. And I hope people are holding up all right during the uh, current global social disorder challenge, uh, harsh testing, um, f uh, death rebirth process. Uh, today, we're going to conclude the reading of the book Nichinanda in Divine Presence, the final chapter called Remembering the Master Part 2. This is class 14 of the Nichinanda, Nichinanda series, and uh, it will continue, meaning uh, I will be reading from the next book, Nichinanda Sky of the Heart, Jewels of Wisdom, uh, which I don't have as a PDF, so I'll read with the book in my hand, <laughs> starting next week, I think. <clears throat> uh, today, the final chapter is, um, uh, is sort of a little sad to me, or uh, such I felt, uh, where you see Captain Hatengi relating his story of his relationship with Nichinanda uh, at the end game, where in the beginning, or in the 20s, 30s, it seemed, they uh, the whole situation was so small there hadn't there wasn't there were not thousands of devotees coming asking for blessings and this and that that captain hatengi could sit with nichinanda in guruvan or um in kanangad area and um just have quiet intimate time together sitting i mean the darshan of uh, sitting together in silence beautiful beautiful and that was really not available at the end and and Nichinanda's life um, he basically uh, gave himself to um, humanity in a sense where uh, he settled in one place and just kept doing his thing and more and more people kept coming and they had to keep building and accommodating the increasing number and everything that was given was put right back out to the community for feeding programs for children and sannyasis and a hospital and a lodging and uh, developing the, the infrastructure of that area where he had done the same in the south as well. And so from, from Ganeshpuri to Kailash at the end as, as it had been done from uh, Kanangad or Guruvan area in the south before that, uh, he's just flowing along and doing his danda and more and more people are coming and inevitably the 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 preciousness of how things were early on um, was unavailable at the end and so remembering the master part two is the last chapter in the book Nichinanda in Divine Presence which again is compiled by this Captain Hatengi <clears throat> and these are his final recollections. And I will read the, this chapter today and also bring in an interesting quote from another teacher that I never really was close to, but um, I had a close friend who loved him, uh, Meher Baba, Meher Baba. He was the one who said, uh, sort of, uh, don't worry, be happy. But I think he was a little deeper than that talking about Antaryani and um, the guru like the sun 
and the rays of the sun and the world that gets illuminated by the sun and its sunbeams. Very interesting passage, the second link I sent. So let me read the final chapter of Nichinanda in Divine Presence and um, bring some other references in and uh, prepare for the next uh, section or the next book next time. So, final chapter, Remembering the Master, Part 2, from Captain Hatengi. On a dark night in June 1945, I was at my usual place by the door, by the door to the room nearest the baths. Oddly, Nichinanda was sitting behind me some twelve feet away. We were both, <clears throat> both facing south and peering into the darkness when suddenly he shouted in Konkani, Who's there? I had to strain my eyes to see a person slowly moving toward us. It is I, the man replied. Another shout erupted behind me, meaning Nichinanda. Who? demanded the master. <clears throat> this time the man said, uh, Satyanara Narayana, Satyanarayana Prasad. Prasad is a, like uh, an offering, and Satyanarayana, I don't know, Satya is, is correct. Satyanarayana Prasad. The master shouted back, Prasad for whom? <laughs> Repeating this a second time, he added, Is anything known about this place? <laughs> Meaning himself. <clears throat> What's that? Well, somebody had come there um, making some kind of offering or attempting to, and Nichinanda challenged him, um, but <laughs> it was all <laughs> telepathic in terms of Nichinanda knowing where the guy's coming from and addressing his intention without dialogue <clears throat> associated with the offering of Prasad. And the next paragraph goes on. I had considered Nichinanda to be an incarnate personality, also the word in, uh, Antaryana, Antaryani, since I first received his darshan, meaning a completely enlightened being from birth. This incident only strengthened my belief, and I wondered why he seemed angry. Turning to look at him, I saw him in a posture radiating such power that I quickly averted my eyes. With great kindness, he said to me, Prasad means something received with God presenting himself fully satisfied in the chosen form and bestowing the gift. You may have it now. By offering it to me, I knew the prasad had been consecrated, meaning the food or the material. Pointing to the stranger, he then added, that man did not come for prasad, but for sankalpa. A sankalpa is a vow taken to perform some action if a prayer is answered, <clears throat> a practice that the master generally discouraged. As the man began telling his story, my guru Nichinanda admonished him and ordered him to return to the ashram from which he had come. And so, <clears throat> the <laughs> what is that all about? It took me a little time to try to figure this out. The man is coming with an offering uh, so that his request or prayer is answered. Came to Nichinanda um, agreeing to vow with within a vow in mind to be taken 
if the prayer that he had been offering, he had been, he was about to bring to Nityananda the prayer to ask something, would be answered by Nityananda. <clears throat> that Nityananda discouraged the practice is also important. Uh, a lot of people actually, not a lot, obviously, but in Buddhist, in Buddhist also, uh, Buddhist and Hindu communities over the centuries, it is a uh, practice that is sometimes taken. Uh, give me this, and I promise you that. Um, if I get this, I'll do that. <clears throat> and Nichananda said, "This is sankalpa." And um, why did Nichananda discourage it? <laughs> Probably because, uh, as far as I can see, uh, it gets one into multi-incarnational dynamics that one is not under, one is uh, unaware of. Making a certain kind of vow in a metaphysical spiritual setting, uh, demanding, requesting <clears throat> the answering of a prayer or the uh, fulfillment of a wish from a teacher or through a magical metaphysical process binds one in ways one doesn't understand. Uh, Self binding by unwise sankalpa vowing, um, vow-making upon fulfillment of a wish or a prayer. That's just one part of it, but I think that people can get into trouble when they're um, signing up for, for, for obligation that they don't understand. So this man perhaps came that way then, Nichinanda knowing that without having to talk to him, of course, uh, <clears throat> also acknowledged that there was an offering to him called prasad being given in the vow-making. And this posture radiating such power <clears throat> um, is a kind of fierceness. Why so fierce? Uh, probably because there were metaphysical forces in play that he had to neutralize because uh, the guy came from another ashram. He was ordered back to an ashram from which he had come, meaning he came from some other ashram, perhaps even with the teacher there, or some portion of the organization there, deciding upon the plan to go to Nichinanda <clears throat> to um, offer prasad in support of a sankalpa, meaning a promise and, to, and a vow to do something, uh, in exchange for uh, an uh, a answering of the prayer or a granting of his wish, and so there's lots of <laughs> spiritual uh, trouble that can come from getting involved in things you don't understand. So that's the the first story there. Uh, but again, it just shows not only Nityananda's um, apparent omniscience, knowing the mind, the background of, this, of the person approaching him without even talking to him, uh, but also the metaphysics that are involved in the common um, vowing um, procedures that, that, were, that, have been gone, that were going on there, and um, the need to, to neutralize it by um, a certain kind of fierce forcefulness. Anyway, interesting, strange story there. Going on, several months passed until one evening the master said, quote, Mothers are more important 
they know what fathers only think to be so. Meaning, <laughs> they, they, they are more important and uh, they know that which fathers think they know, but don't really know. The mothers know, the fathers only think they know. It is the mother who points out the father, brothers, and sisters to the child. This the child believes without question. The mother is to the child what the guru is to the disciple. The guru reveals God to the disciple and enables the disciple to experience his presence. Now, I want to pull right in here a QA from Mare Baba. Uh, The page is the avatarmeher.org. Baba, meaning Mare Baba, or father, Baba's response to questions regarding the union and the circle, whatever that is. Uh, But talking about the relationship between guru and disciple, and that's not devotee, that's disciple. Different. This is not Buddhism. (laughs) This is Hinduism. Um, But their goal is the same. And so let's take universal truth wherever we find it. Question to Meher Baba. Then if this prize, meaning, I think, attainment, complete and perfect enlightenment, you know, moksha, mukti, moksha, uh, complete, perfect liberation, freedom, then if this prize is sure of attainment for everyone, why strive for it? It will come of itself. This is a question that is not is commonly asked from the perspective in in response to the perspective or the truth that all souls will return to source someday. Yes, indeed. And it's all done by God anyway. <laughs> so, if the prize is sure of attainment for everyone, why strive for it? It will come of itself. Mir Baba answered, Your striving and struggle are what bring you nearer and nearer to the goal of truth. Even though you fail 99 times, if at last the hundredth effort brings you brings to you the realized Yani Guru, Wisdom Guru, all your labor is amply repaid. Meaning the hundredth time, even if you failed 99. For from that moment when you find the Guru, you will be pushed continuously towards the goal of truth through your Guru's secret working and hidden powers. Hence it is said, strive on and on. Take as an analogy these sun rays falling in the center of the makan, and that was a structure makan e kas, staff quarters of the main mandali. Mandali is from mandala. It's I think just the Hindu term for a religious uh, building structure, physical structure for residence or ritual. So the sun rays falling in the center of the building where he was giving that talk, perhaps. which have penetrated through some opening in the wall, the sun rays, compared to the greater space of the Makan, which still lies in darkness, that portion illuminated by the light of the rays is small, and the rays themselves are few. So you've got the Makan, the sun rays, and then the portion of the structure illuminated by those rays. Right? Such is the condition of the people in this universe. Actually, it's 3D humanity. The huge mass of humanity remains in the dark, ignorant of any real knowledge. Only a few can he can be counted among the knowers of inner knowledge, antaryani. That's another translation of antaryani. 
So, the huge mass of humanity remains in the dark, ignorant of any real knowledge. Then, only a few can be counted among the knowers of inner knowledge, Antaryani, having gleaned light from a realized person. These who possess inner knowledge can be compared to the rays just mentioned, few in number, but even so, rays merely, and not the sun itself, which remains far, far above this earthly domain and altogether out of reach. Real knowledge means journeying towards and becoming one with the sun. From there, having attained that, one throws light. By comparison, to be like a sun ray is nothing. They are only rays, after all. This was <laughs> a lecture from 1926. Hey, hey, it's ageless wisdom. Time means nothing. So there's the sun, there's the sun rays, or beams. There are those that are touched by the rays of the sun. And then there's that which is not touched by the rays of the sun. So, like the structure of the building, a huge mass of humanity, like most of the building, in that case of sitting in the building where there was a light streaming through some of the windows, most of the building, most of humanity remains in the dark. Yeah, they're 3D repeating, very much so, and decent. You know, their, their heart chakra activated somewhat, but insufficient for 4D positive graduation, right? They're, they're co-creating catalyst, co, co-programming um, catalyst before birth with higher self. Yeah, could be, seems to be what Ross said. That's more than half, but not harvestable or um, meek enough to inherit the earth. <laughs> not, not positively oriented or committed to truth and goodness enough. Then <clears throat> you have those that are some have some degree of knowing inner knowledge, having gleaned light from a realized person or um, been touched by the rays of the sun. The rays of the sun could be seen as a guru, the sun could be seen as a guru, but actually the sun is the logos, or the sun is a physical manifestation of the logos, uh, just as the solar system is too, but perhaps it's a more holistic or a um, more fitting, accurate manifestation. It, 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 its nature is closer to the nature of the Logos than uh, a planet. So a star system with planets and, and a sun, <clears throat> that whole thing is a physical representation, physical manifestation, the 3D form one of the 3D forms of the Logos, a Logos that may manifest multiple solar systems. And so the Sun, um, in a sense, is not really more of the Logos than a planet, but its nature giving light and heat and life. It's light giving life, or it's life giving light, actually. It's life manifests light in a way of greater potency than the physical Earth, uh, than than the planets of a solar system, is therefore a closer symbolic representation or manifestation of the of its um, author, of uh, God or the Logos. So, uh, I would say the Logos is like the sun, and um, the great teachers are like the sunbeams, and even great teaching is like the rays of sun. And then those few here who are touched by it 
um, live more fully um, in the light of love, truth, and uh, that comes through the teaching and the teacher. And um, it's interesting. I don't know Mayor Baba's work much at all, but he talks about the goal of truth. The goal of truth. The goal of truth, I think, means that liberation. We talk about the goal as liberation. The goal being what? <laughs> Freedom from the octave. Okay. Complete and perfect enlightenment. Yeah. The perfection of the seven rays, seven chakras. Yeah. Okay. Union of uh, Paramatma of uh, Jivatman and Paramatman, meaning higher self returns to the Logos. Higher Self as a sub-sub-Logos goes back to the Solar, which is a sub-Logos. Okay? Logoic reunification. Logoic reunification. Reunification of the spark of the Logos as Higher Self as the... very much like the Significator, actually, uh, in the series of seven in the Tarot. The Higher Self as a sub-sub-Logos returns to the solar logos uh, and um, is free of the need to reincarnate in the octave, that's a goal that is of liberation, ending of desire, ending of craving, ending of rebirth, ending of maya or avidya, ignorance. That is also a goal called truth. It's the truth of um, uh, full manifestation of true nature. One's own true nature is the true nature of the one. It's not a personal possession, so it's not my true nature, it's the true nature. It's transpersonal, impersonal, pre-personal, non-personal. It's the source, it's return to the source of light. Return to the nature, to the the source of light whose nature is life, which is <laughs> uh, of the three primary qualities, uh, like the first three laws of uh, free will, love, and light. So return to source is return to true nature, which is the goal of evolution, which is a final uh, return to reality, and therefore could be called a goal of truth, I'd say. Now, (laughs) going on, um, Captain Hatengi continues, Sometimes he, Nichinanda, denied responsibility for his actions even benevolent ones. One morning in 1946, so this is 25, uh, 15 years before he passed, it's not, not the last days at all, but getting there. One morning in 1946, as we sat in our usual places, a man approached. Nichinanda rose, took a stick from the roof, struck him four or five times, replaced the stick, and sat down again. The man left without uttering a sound. Seeing my confusion, the master said, This one has not beaten him. He came to get beaten. And it is indeed true that many people believed such beatings to be blessings that would ward off trouble. Personally, I was uh, beaten <laughs> by uh, Edo Roshi in Dokusan. It was not Dokusan, it was... Or maybe call it Dokusan. In the uh, Sashin private meeting with the Roshi during one of the seven-day retreats uh, or meditation intensives at Daibasatsu Zendo in, I don't know what, 81, 82. And it was great. I mean, he just, you know, just with the keisaku stick on the shoulder blade on the on the muscles, not the bone. And uh, it was just perfect. It was great. I really liked it. <laughs> it was not sadistic at all. It was really 
um, help to beat out the um, pain and um, blockage in me. And um, he asked, what is Mu? And I <laughs> demonstrated my understanding of Mu and uh, was well rewarded by uh, uh, multiple beatings with the Keisaku on the shoulder. And it was great. I felt really <laughs> happy afterwards. And he said something like, only the, only the swift horse gets the stick. And um, that's the way it goes. So there is some... Th at the right time, when, when one is deep in certain kind of uh, dukkha, uh, path dukkha, um, that kind of a beating is very helpful. Going on, um, Hatengi explains... This reminds me of a story about the great Vyasa, author of the Vedas, the 18 Puranas, and the Mahabharata, with its beloved Bhagavad Gita. It is in his honor, Vyasa, that we celebrate Guru Purnima every July in India. As he, Vyasa, Vyasa, sat one evening on the banks of the river Jumna, some milkmaids carrying pots of curds approached, desiring to cross over. Because it was dusk and the river was high, they asked the sage to use his good offices to make the river open a path for them. Vyasa asked them for something to eat, partook of the offered curds, curds and whey, right? This is a milk, like um, uh, paneer. And then addressed the river, If I have eaten nothing, make a way for these milkmaids. The river complied at once and made an opening. Because Vyasa always identified with the Absolute, Atman, and not with his physical body, his true form, meaning he, had not eaten. Nichinanda was often described in the same way. My visits to Ganesh Puri, and here's where the, the, you can see how all good things come to an end. My visits to Ganesh Puri were infrequent between 1948 and 1954, estranging me from a new generation of devotees, then restationed in Bombay from 1955 to 1957, I often felt lost during my monthly visits. In addition, my few overnights were spent in the big hall, since the one flanking Nichinanda's room were no longer used by visitors, the ones, two of them. One was now a kitchen, while the other was kept closed and used for storage. One rainy September night, Rather than stay in the big hall, I made up my mind to sit outside the kitchen near the master, who sat there on a bench. At seven o'clock, he called to a devotee whom I did not know, asking him to open the closed room for me. I spent the night there, surrounded by gifts and other offerings to Nichinanda, the storage room. I departed early the next day, later learning that Nichinanda departed the same morning for a new ashram in Kailas. So things are changing, and he doesn't have time with Nichinanda anymore. After 1957, closer to the end, I only visited Ganesh Puri once or twice a year. Because of what I had understood him to mean years earlier, I always kept to myself, courteous but not overly friendly with other devotees. When Nichinanda moved his living quarters to the new ashram in Kailas, specific hours were set for darshan. The old ashram central hall was now usually empty, because most devotees gathered in the west hall. On my sporadic visits, I usually occupied a corner of the old hall near the bench where the master used to sit. My habit was to arrive in the early afternoon and leave by seven the next morning. 
However, to, glad, to catch even a glimpse of Nichinanda meant knocking hourly at the Kailas doors until they were opened at five o'clock or later. Sometimes special arrangements were made for devotees who had traveled great distances, but a virtual stranger to the new ashram's attendance, I was overlooked. Frustrated, I wondered why the master failed to make special arrangements for me. Finally, I saw him one evening. He said to me, where do you stay these days? Since he had always seemed to know what I was doing, even when stationed to remote areas, I was irked at the question. Petulantly, I replied, where else? There, meaning in the big hall. With an admonishing tone, he used his index finger to point to the place I had occupied in the old ashram and said, only there is good. I confess that his response was unclear to me at the time. I was too busy thinking that if this were so, why was he in Kailash? Meaning, he was pointing, Nishinanda was pointing to the place in the old ashram, but he's in the new ashram called Kailash, which is also in the Ganeshpuri area. It's just not that far old. It's just a different building, I think. Mm, why is he saying I should be over there when he's over here and he doesn't seem to care about me? <laughs> he's maybe thinking. But I kept quiet. Only when he left his physical body and his remains were interred near that very spot did I understand. <laughs> and so it's almost like Nichinanda let him let his life be directed to some degree by the needs of the throng around him. And even while the old ashram where he pointed and said only there is good is perhaps where he personally would have preferred to be where Captain Hatengi with him had been before where he had been before he still let them build a new structure called Kailash with all these new devotees uh, and attendants that didn't have any connection to Captain Hatengi and were sort of running the situation around him (laughs) I think he might have regretted that and so after he left he may have regretted that or had a second thought that you know there are many ways to play a human life and uh, there's a value to surrendering to the needs of the many and there's a value to leaving them away leaving them alone and going off to one's own life and um this is um relevant to uh, a passage in the previous chapter Uh, Remembering the Master, Part 1, where, in the third paragraph, it's written, On one visit, a young man ran up to me outside the ashram and asked if if he could come. Saying that I thought everyone was welcome, I brought him along. Nichinanda was away, but we soon saw him approaching from the direction of the river. (laughs) He probably had deposited his body under the water to travel outside and come back to it later. He seemed to be shouting at the stranger by my side. Entering the ashram, the master shouted again, asking the startled man who had brought him, and then told him to leave, meaning Captain Hatengi had brought him, but Nichinanda shouts at him and tells him to leave. Turning to me, he, Nichinanda said, Never put yourself out to anyone here. People come with different predilections, vasanas, and it's not for you to interfere. End quote. My subsequent strict compliance with this directive brought me problems later on, but no matter. 
I now understood the necessity of keeping to myself and not becoming distracted from my spiritual practice. This is the difference between um, seeking to learn and grow and seeking to be of service. They're not the same. They work together. They don't have to be together, however. Meaning, uh, Nichananda, he's not saying spread the message and bring the masses in. Uh, everyone you can find, tell them the good news and bring them in to the church. Uh, I've got something wonderful here and I just want the whole world to see. Nothing like that at all. Uh, he's, <laughs> he's really saying, uh, you should... Um, you you should know what's yours what's yours to do and what's not yours to do, and uh, at this time in human history, with lots of folks who are wanderers, who sure we can say a lot. We might know more than a lot of people. We may be enjoying uh, the illumination and the warmth of the the sun rays that we find with teachers and teaching, and from within, but. Um, there is something uh, service to others is not a practice <laughs> this is a very funny point the raw material community, L&L community, bring forth community there is a certain evangelizing, evangelizing tendency just the term service the, the, the very semantics of defining the positive path as service to other I think is problematic because clearly it involves taking good care of yourself going to the forest and meditating, the learning and growing portion, learning, growing, helping. The learning, growing is not a helping. Of course it is. So learning, growing, sitting alone, study, meditation, is service to other, but it's alone. Well, then why even use this term, service to other? Why not service to all? Okay. But, the, the you know, there's some problem there, I think. <clears throat> and this perspective, the, the guru guru path, or the path that gurus taught, particularly in Hinduism, um, you see it in some other traditions, but Buddhism is not particularly guru-related, except for Tibetan Buddhism, which is a whole other story, and it has some strengths and weaknesses. But uh, the whole guru-bhakti way, the bhaktipad, bhaktimag, bhaktimarg, the whole way of devotion and love of guru, um, it's not problematic, <laughs> necessarily. Um, but it, it very strongly um, encourages the disciple, the student, to keep to yourself and don't become distracted from your spiritual practice, just like Nityananda said to Captain Hatengi. Meanwhile, today, and those of us who love the raw material, and those people, I think, that uh, have some sense that the raw material is the end-all and be-all, which I do not. Somebody criticized, some silly fellow long ago criticized me, thinking that I'm pushing the raw material as the one and only truth. Hey, bro, how about my playlists? <laughs> there are a lot of other stuff way far from that. I don't see a lot of raw material people bringing in uh, half a dozen other traditions, actually. So... No, I think the raw material is, is beloved, um, and there are limitations. And one of them 
is suggested by the terminology that the positive path is called service to other. That seems to imply service is the path. Service is not the path. Transformation of the seven rays is the path. Transformation of the seven rays um, on the positive path, or as the path, uh, requires green ray always, or just like, <laughs> just, just like Buddhist Satya, you know, uh, the Bojanga, Sapta Bojanga, the seven factors of enlightenment always require mindfulness or sati. Likewise, the positive path always requires green ray, but it isn't, um, doesn't require uh, getting involved with other people. It really does not. And there are a lot of spiritually, pe- spiritually minded people who don't seem to know how to live without being needed by others. And don't seem to know what it means, don't become distracted from your spiritual practice. And then there are others who don't know how to be of service to others. <laughs> so there are some people who seem to be attached to physical engagement in service with others, service to other, and don't seem to know what it means to drop that and not be and be in an environment where nobody cares about you, but you can be very well on the path of service to other. Some people don't know what that is, and then other people don't care about it at all and really don't have much ability to help others. So some people really can help others deeply, but don't know how to be alone. <laughs> don't know, can't be well alone. Can't be well continuing seven-ray development alone, meaning they are distracted from their inner work or spiritual practice and can't keep to themselves when they ought to. And then others who only keep to themselves and don't know how to be of service to other in physical, verbal forms of, of uh, sharing. Uh, so, Nichinanda is um, making an important point here that um, people have their own process and uh, be careful you don't get stuck in uh, thinking that you wanting to play the guru. You know? I mean, I don't think this way. I just do this because I like it. But when it's over, I'm not thinking about how can I help? How can I help? Because it's enough. I have my own things to do alone. Like that. And it's not like I'm some super yogi either. But um, people, this this teaching to Captain Hatengi from Nichinanda regarding that person and keeping to yourself is, is kind of important. So Let's go on, and 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 this is also even t- uh, related to Captain Hatengi's experiences here, closer to the end of Nichinanda's incarnation, after fifty-seven. The master didn't make special arrangements for him. He felt like a virtual stranger to the new ashram's attendants, who didn't care about him, didn't know about him. They don't care. Nichinanda did care, but was really in a different phase, and that's. Um, the sun ray doesn't care about you personally, actually. The sun ray shines upon all in its path. The sun is not um, sentimental. And we are sentimental. Um, I would feel sad <laughs> if I had uh, hours and hours or days and weeks sitting with Nichinanda in uh, 1932 or 37, um, watching you know, the darkness at night in... Uh, and then losing it 30 years later or 20 years later 
and um, a bunch of strange attendants and nobody. Everything's a big um, procedure. So uh, it's sad. Um, but he's gone his own way. And that's something we ought to learn as well. Going on. Um, so while Nichinanda <laughs> acknowledged that the old ashram only there is good, um, still let himself be swayed or let himself um, respond to or, or um, direct his continued flow of life in relation to the throngs of people who kept coming to him for help. Going on, uh, the second to last paragraph of the book, Captain Zengi wrote, My last visit before he took Mahasamadhi was in October 1960, late in the evening, and after numerous hourly knocks on my part, an attendant opened the door and asked me to sit beside his chair, Minnichinata's chair. The master was resting in his room. About ten minutes passed, while two devotees in the passage were trying to work, ay, 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 work a new tape recorder. I have to get this call. We'll pause here. Okay, continuing. So, Captain Hatangi writes his last visit before Nichinanda took Mahasamadhi was in October 1960. And you can see how things have changed a lot since his prior intimate times with, with the Master. Late in the evening, after numerous hourly knocks on my part, trying to get in, uh, get into the inner sanctum. The attendant and attendant opened the door, asked me to sit beside his chair. The master was resting in his room. About ten minutes passed while two devotees in the passage were trying to work a new tape recorder. The particular words they had managed to catch were of Nityananda repeating, without the Guru's grace, nothing happens. Thinking of myself, I, weathered one, I wondered whether my five-hour wait was due to a lack of grace in my life. What, I fretted, had I done to merit such treatment? As this thought entered my mind, he emerged from his room to lay down again, this time facing me on the adjacent platform. The only light was above my head, and he looked directly at me as I nervously shifted my gaze. Nothing was said. Fifteen minutes later, he slowly rose and returned to the platform in his room. I was disturbed by the enormity of his body and wondered how he managed to breathe. My wonder was even greater because I knew how little he ate. When I informed the attendant of my intended early departure in the morning, he told me to meet him at the baths at four o'clock meaning Nityananda had told Captain Atengi to meet him at the baths at 4 a.m. I entered the main hall to receive Darshan at 6 a.m., I think, finding Nityananda asleep on the platform and turned toward the wall. I bent over to see his face. He opened his left eye and nodded to indicate that I could go. Again, no words were spoken. Even when my visits became infrequent, he had always said something to me. This was the first and only time that silence reigned. Perhaps he thought I had reached a higher level of understanding, but if so, I was certainly unaware of it 
In truth, I left the master recognizing that a long struggle lay ahead of me. Nevertheless, today, as I remember the golden weekend spent in his divine presence, I am filled with inner peace and happiness. I am eternally grateful. And this ends the book entitled Nityananda in Divine Presence. And the, uh, I think, note from the, the director of the webpage, it is hoped that this small glimpse into the Master's life gives you as much hope, joy, and satisfaction as it has me. Mahaguru Bhakti, which means great guru love devotion or great devotion to the great guru M. M is the one who uh, runs this nonduality.com website. So, therein or here hereby thereby thereby concludes the book Nityananda in Divine Presence. And you can see how um, all things must pass and um Nityananda, um, it's it's first of all it's uh, Captain Hatengi um, was one of ten thousand, ten thousands, many ten thousands of people who wanted Nityananda's time, and so to have ten thousand, many ten thousands, tens of thousands of people wanting one's time, what a difficult way to live, <laughs> I think. And yet, that was the the danda dharma that he offered to himself, Nityananda. And the I don't know if at the end, um, Nityananda was silent with Captain Hatengi because he considers that Captain Hatengi reached some higher level of understanding. Um, certainly, he probably felt that his words were not necessary. That doesn't mean Hatengi has some higher level. It just means words are not necessary. And I think it's particularly related to the fact that it's about to leave. He's about to leave. It's over. This is it. This is the last chapter, like we did today. And uh, the last chapter of Nityananda's life and the last meeting and the last phase of meetings between Captain Hatengi and Nityananda as Nityananda was... Um, full of <laughs> the needs of the tens of thousands. His body was enormous without eating because, just like that story before, it seems he had internalized the needs and the longing and the, um, the seeking, whether it's low or high, of the tens of thousands that came to him. So tens of thousands come to him with desires low, middle, and high, from lottery numbers to um, looking for a job or money to uh, please help my my um, sick child to please help me um, in my meditation to please awaken me <laughs> to uh, please guide me towards the path uh, for my own transformation. Low, middle, high... Uh, and he had ate them all in that um, he internalized or vibrated in harmony with those uh, the, the countless desires of the tens of thousands that came to him. And I think he was tired. 
and uh, words, it was beyond, the, the time for words had passed, certainly with Captain Atengi, and really in general, the time for words had passed. And in fact, the whole Nityananda's whole life um, is not much of words, but of giving and detachment. I mean, his whole way was dana, or generosity. I mean, like a wish-fulfilling gem. I mean, that's all he did. <laughs> that's all he did for decades, for tens of thousands of people, is to give them, I guess, just what they wanted. Not endlessly, but muchly. Tens of thousands were granted their wishes, low, middle, and high. Uh, and that he internalized that. He had given himself to it and, and become one with it, with the, the calling, the longing, the seeking, low, middle, and high, the desires of the throng, the mass, the mob that came to him. And becoming one with it, uh, he ate it, or uh, it filled his um, body he didn't eat it really. <laughs> it just absorbed it uh, without, not by the mouth. And so he, um, his body expressed, it was a manifestation of his mind, right? Um, where the mind had, his mind field, chittakash, encompassed the whole of the desires, low, middle, and high of the tens of thousands of people who came to him over decades. And his body likewise reflected that chittakash encompassing, holding holding all, embracing uh, the whole of all those people's, those devotees' desires. Uh, and the time for words were of, was, was long past. And um, it's, it's sad, it's poignant. Um, Captain Atengi remembering the, the golden weekends, meeting the beautiful time sitting with Nityananda just silently when there was no one around. Because um, when there are lots of people around, there's lots of disturbance because all those people are disturbed. <laughs> I mean, go to an ashram, go to a sangha, everybody's disturbed, more or less. The contrast between a teacher, a great teacher, in any tradition, and the throngs of devotees and disciples is very sharp, the contrast. That's why I stayed. I couldn't sign up for any community, whether it was uh, Buddhist or otherwise, because I don't want to be with those people. <laughs> I never found some teacher who was who I would want to give myself to, nor did I enjoy the community. And that's just me. So everybody goes their own way. If you like the community, more power to you. And if you think some teacher is so great, more power to you. And if it works for you, that's great. Uh, but the the mm, the precious moment in time, um, beautiful moments come and go, and precious times cannot be grasped and held. And nicha nicha nicha, you know, sabe dhamma anicha, sabe dhamma anicha. So all dhammas, all um, conceptualization, all thought and feeling all formed experience is impermanent. Sabe dhamma anicca. Impermanent, transitory, like a dew drop or a bubble, said the uh, Heart Sutra. <clears throat> and so that's the way it goes. And uh, yet, uh, it's really a beautiful story. And um, 
for someone who loves a guru um, sitting quietly with their beloved teacher um, is the best <laughs> there's nothing better and um, when you find somebody with when you have such feeling uh, it's good to um, go with it you may find <laughs> that teacher is a scoundrel okay well you learn something uh, otherwise not uh, but you also may find that that teacher has very little time for you and in the future because they are available to all not just you and um, that's the way it goes so there this ends the book entitled Nichinanda in Divine Presence now next time uh, I will read uh, I'll try to basically review or not review but complete the page Sky of the Heart Jewels of Wisdom from Nichinanda also on the nonduality.com site. However, this is not the whole book. Long, long ago, in class one or so, I think, or two, I reviewed or read, I read through the introduction here. I believe the introduction was from uh, Swami Chetanyananda, or even the editor. And so the, the tone is quite different. Uh, but there are a couple of there are a few chapters on the page that are interesting uh, taking some of the material that was also compiled into Chittakash Gita Chittakash is mind space song Gita as a song Bhagavad Gita Gita and Chitta like Manas meaning mind or consciousness Akash Chit Akash like Akashic field Akashic record space or of field of um, mind so mind space or heart space song mind heart space or awareness <laughs> a field of awareness awareness consciousness space song anyway mind heart space consciousness song something like that chapters uh, nature of the absolute from an Advaita Vedanta perspective Nature of the Absolute, then Nature of the Individual, very interesting, then Process of Liberation, and Conclusion. And uh, I think I'd do that next time. So it is that that was written by Swami Chetanyananda. Um, and then I will read directly from the book itself or read through the book from start to finish because these are just certain portions of the book and um, hopefully that'll work <laughs> uh, because um, I'd rather not leave Nichinanda yet and I think it's very useful information so that's it for today and thank you for being here I hope it was useful to you uh, please take good care of yourselves and those nearby um, continue <laughs> with what you know is good and true and beautiful the good and the true and the beautiful stay with what you know is rightly valued so take good care good night